You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And for this week's podcast, we're going to give you audio from a media conference call that we held on Wednesday afternoon uh, regarding today's big China trade deal agreement that was signed at the White House. Uh, It features Jennifer Houston, NCBA's president, and Kent Backus, who is NCBA's Senior Director of International Trade and Market Access. So without further ado, here are Jennifer and Kent. Thanks, Ed. Yes, I was sitting behind Henry Kissinger and sort of reflecting in the 49 years since his first visit to China in secret in 1971 and how far we've come. It certainly was a historic day for the U.S., but it was an especially great day for American beef producers. Our staff and our volunteers have worked hard for the, almost the better part of two decades. We were out of the market for about 14 years, just got back in 2017, then we all know what happened, but uh, we still face really significant uh, non-science-based, non-tariff trade barriers, and this really will get rid of a lot of those and allow us to sell the same high-quality U.S. beef that we enjoy to Chinese consumers, and we know that when they get a taste of this beef, this market is absolutely going to explode and be such a positive event for all of America's beef producers. All right. Thank you, Jennifer. And then, Kent, um, you've, you've probably had a chance to look at some of the details of the deal that was signed today uh, over at the White House. Can you run us through uh, some of the provisions that should have a, a positive impact for American beef producers? Yes, thank you, Ed. And uh, I just want to say that, uh, as, as Jennifer mentioned, this is a, a truly momentous day for U.S. beef industry for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. This is something that, uh, as an industry and as an association, we've been working on for well over a decade, uh, ever since the, the first ban went into effect in 2003, we've been doing everything we can to open the Chinese market. Uh, so uh, we are going through all of the details right now. Uh, USTR made those public just a few hours ago, so I know a lot of people are trying to do the same. Uh, what we can tell you is that uh, the details we are aware of, uh, this is very positive. And this is something, uh, in many ways, these are a lot of the things that we have asked for and we have asked for the administration to push for. And I'm going to talk about those uh, for just a second. Um, But but backing up, just kind of looking at the history of how we got here, again, we were banned in 2003. And uh, over the course of the next 14 years, uh, China continued to come back and say that uh, we did not have a safe product that uh, they were going to continue to apply uh, a whole myriad of uh, barriers. Uh, One of those was uh, just a ban due to BSE concerns. Um, And so they applied a 30-month restriction. They had that for quite a long time. But they also included a lot of other requirements that would have made it nearly impossible for the U.S. beef industry to comply with. Uh, But in, in 2012, we received a negligible risk status uh, from the World Organization for Animal Health. And even after that, and that's one of the safest designations you can have, it's one of, it shows that uh, we truly have a, a very safe system uh, in regard to BSE concerns. Uh, you know, China still did not modify uh, our access. It wasn't until 
uh, a few years later when China announced in late 2016 that they were going to lift a ban on U.S. beef, uh, but only after technical discussions concluded. Well, um, you know, we continued to ask uh, the Trump administration to lead on this, and we were very happy when in April of 2017, U.S. beef access to China was the top agenda item coming out of the Mar-a-Lago summit. Uh, president Trump served uh, the Chinese president a steak and basically said, hey, here's what you're missing. And, uh, and as a result, you know, we, uh, we got a commitment that uh, access would be restored. They still kept certain restrictions on their uh, different requirements, such as bans on production technology like hormones and beta agonists. Uh, they kept the BSE restriction on, and they also required uh, book and traceability, traceability uh, requirements that are greater than what we have for the domestic market. So because of that, our exports were extremely limited. And, you know, in the first six months uh, of access there, we only sold $30 million worth of beef to Chinese consumers. The following year, we only sold $60 million. This, year, uh, this last year, uh, just through the first 11 months, that total was only $70 million. To put that in perspective, you know, China represents a fifth of the world's population. Uh, Japan and Korea, on the other hand, uh, while we were selling $70 million into China, we were selling $1.8 billion into Japan and $1.7 billion into Korea. These are countries that are much smaller. So we had a lot of unmet potential uh, due to a lot of these non-tariff trade barriers. So this is something we've been asking for the Trump administration to address. Uh, they have they continue to engage, continue to fight uh, to open that market. And what we have seen from the details that have been released today, it shows that uh, the BSE restriction has been lifted. Uh, that will, uh, that 30-month restriction is, is no longer going to apply. But that brings the Chinese rules into, uh, into alignment with the OIE guidelines. Uh, China also recognizes the U.S. traceability system, so those extra things we had to do for the Chinese market will no longer have to do. China has also agreed to establish maximum residue levels for commonly used veterinary compounds, uh, including veronal, trimolone, and oligosterol acetate. Uh, that's another way of just saying hormones. So that is huge because these are commonly used technologies uh, that we have used in the United States for decades. These are FDA-approved technologies. Uh, we know what we're doing with these. Uh, our industry has proven time and time again that we produce some of the safest beef in the world. Uh, and uh, this is just a way of removing a non-science-based trade barrier. Uh, China has also agreed uh, to conduct a risk analysis on ractopamine, which is a beta agonist used in our feed yards. That's also an FDA-approved technology, one that's, that's commonly used. So uh, we see a lot of progress on some of these major non-tariff trade barriers, and we see this as a great opportunity uh, for the U.S. beef industry to, to tap in to a Chinese market that wants our product. They want beef. And what sets our product apart from many other countries is that our beef 
is a higher quality grain finished beef. Most of what China is importing now is going to be lower quality, grass finished, a lot of it from South America, uh, some from Australia, some from New Zealand, but nothing like what we produce here in the United States. And so we see, we, see this, uh, we see this as a great opportunity for our industry. Uh, so overall, we see a lot of this moving in to place within the next month. Uh, we see USDA and USTR continuing to work to address these issues. And uh, as we were kind of explaining here, this is kind of like you get a, a, you get a big Christmas gift. You're real excited when you get it, and now you get to put it together. And so it's going to take one of those uh, things where we're, we're going to have to work together as an industry to uh, make sure that this is up and running and it's functioning uh, as we need it to. And so you'll continue to see NCBA focus on that. So that's a very high-level overview, of a very comprehensive agreement. And, uh, and so we'll be happy to take any calls at this, or take any uh, questions at this time. All right. <clears throat> Thank you, Kent, and congratulations to you and everybody who worked on uh, making sure that uh, the administration and everybody involved knew that this was a very high priority for America's producers. So um, with that, I'll open it up for questions. Um, if you want to ask a question, please just identify yourself and your outlet. And if you're not asking a question, I would suggest that you uh, put your phone on mute. We're getting a little bit of uh, background chatter and conversation on, in the background there. Okay. Um, any questions? This is Steve K of Cattle Buyers Weekly, gentlemen. Uh, yep. My question to, to Kent is, uh, obviously the risk assessment is, is welcome news regarding the use of Optiflex. Do you have a, a figure as to what percentage of cattle on feed are currently using Optiflex? And obviously uh, its use would eventually have to change depending on what the risk assessment says about it. Uh, well, as far as as far as cattle on feed for that have been in production for China specifically, no. But as far as overall, uh, we know that um, I, I can't put a, a hard number to it, but it is it is commonly used, and I would say uh, I would say a majority of cattle uh, that are going through feed yards are going to uh, are going to use either uh, racked up mean optiflex or uh, you know, any other. Uh, Beta agonists that are there. We can get more information on that, though. I'd have to consult with my colleagues who to really focus on those technologies. A quick follow-up, Ken. Uh, would you advise producers to start uh, withdrawing from the use of Optiflex and other ractopamine products, or, or just the assessment is completed? So, I think. I think producers are, are already responding to, to market demands everywhere in the world, and I think that over time, they're, uh, I think over time you're going to see you know, some some production practices change. Uh, you know, NCBA is not in the business of advising people what to do with their business. Our job is to make sure they have tools available so that if they make that choice, they have the freedom to do so. And that if they want to use those FDA-approved technologies, then they have the, the opportunities to do so. But this is a conversation we'll continue to have with our government. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we'll continue to answer questions of the Chinese government about our production technologies uh, because we believe in uh, we believe in in using these FDA-approved technologies. And if people want 
to use them, they should have the ability to do so to respond to that market demand. And if they choose not to, then they, they should also have the ability to do so. So I think over the next few months, you'll see, you'll see people make that determination on their own that NCBA is not going to advocate one way or the other. Again, one final question. What, uh, what are you forecasting for the increase, even just in dollar terms, to, to sales to China this year? Oh <laughs> uh, well, I think uh, I think if I were in that business, I you know I I probably have my own shingle and make a lot of money elsewhere. But I think uh, I think we're going to see significant growth in our overall global exports because you can't just look. The Chinese market is going to be significant in the long term, but we have a lot of opportunities with Japan. We have a lot of opportunities with Korea. Uh, we have a tremendous opportunity throughout Asia. This is just a, another. Uh, addition to that, but I don't think I don't think we can ignore the fact that this is one fifth of the world's population, the middle class, bigger than the entire U.S. population, that's hungry for protein. They're hungry for beef, and once we're able to develop those supply chains, we're able to market to those consumers. I think China would easily be a top three market for us in the very near future. And Ken, let's just don't forget that you know the really the big wins that we got. With hormones, uh, you know, and uh, listen about the hormones, traceability, and age restrictions. Even though they continue to work on beta agonists, we got some huge wins in this to allow more beef to be uh, sent over to Chinese consumers, where we know they really have a demand for it. Okay. Thank you very much. Hello. Yep. This is Pete Pro calling. Hey, Pete. Could you guys kind of outline this traceability system they're going to accept for me? So the book and traceability. Seems like it's kind of loose right now. Well, so Pete, as you're aware, with the book and traceability, they wanted to they wanted us to be able to to trace from where that animal was born and then again uh, know where it was slaughtered. And those requirements are no longer going to to be there. So now that trace back goes to the point of slaughter. Uh, which is going to be to an FSIS approved plant, which is similar to what we do for many other countries. Everybody else. So we don't have to abide by the bookend uh, system any longer. That's correct. Okay, that's a big one. Kent, uh, this, uh, this is Philip Brasher with AgriPulse. Um, can, can you quantify, the, just clarify too, the $70 million figure you gave it, Okay, was that for all of 2019? I had a little trouble hearing you. Yeah, and, so, uh, yeah for just on that, for that number, uh, that's a, so the $70 million was from January to November of 2019. Okay. What do you think is the range of possibility? You said it uh, could be a top, top three market, so you must have some kind of uh, amount uh, in mind. Um, yeah, I, with these, with these changes. I, it's hard. It's hard to predict what's what's in what's in this year, uh, and honestly, you know, with the, the statistics that we that we used, the, the estimates that we used were provided, you know, a few years ago. It was the USMEF estimate, and those were based off of uh, if those restrictions, if all those restrictions were were lifted. Uh, if that were the case, if hormones, beta agonists, traceability, all these things were lifted then the Meat Export Federation estimated that within five years, China would be a $4 billion market for us. So 
as we roll this out, I still think that that is, I think that's a conservative estimate. Because when those calculations were taken, that was before the African swine fever outbreak. And that was before this massive culling of Chinese pork production and, these, and all of these imports and basically a vacuum of beef demand or protein demand in China. So I, I think it's very difficult for us to, to put a solid number on that right now because so much has changed from our previous estimates. But that is something that we are, uh, we are going to work with industry experts to try to, try to calculate uh, and try to get a better understanding because we think that this is, we think there's tremendous upswing here. Kent, this Thank is you. Steve Dipper from uh, AFF Sentinel. Um, this is kind of a similar question to what Steve Kay had. What, do we have any estimates as to what percentage of uh, the cattle population, those three, uh, actually two uh, implants, and of course the MGA for heifers, uh, what that covers and what that leaves out for other products? So on, on, on implant, on hormones, in particular, some of the back of the envelope that we've had for a while is that, you know, uh, less than 3% of our overall herd was in HTC or from non-hormone treated cattle. So when you're looking, you're looking at the significance of what that means, that means that, you know, a vast majority of U.S. cattle, US cattle would be eligible. So, um, our industry is going to have to figure that out. We're going to have to figure out um, what the incentive is to produce for that Chinese market. Now that the the uh, hormone uh, restrictions are being lifted, uh, that they're going to be more consistent with what we have. Uh, also, that we don't no longer have the, the traceability component. That's another compliance concept that's lifted, uh, and we don't have the the BSE restriction. As Jennifer alluded, that those are those are very significant. I I think once we can kind of figure out a little bit more on how the the role of beta agonists will play into that, we'll have a better idea. Um, so uh, there will be a lot of people that speculate one way or the other. We're just not at that point where we where we can do that because uh, I, I still think the implementation is going to be key, and the timing of implementation is going to be very important uh, because. As we've run into with China before, sometimes they'll 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 do a handshake or, or you know agree to something on paper, but actually getting it implemented can be tough. But I think that's different with this administration. This is an administration that that is very firm on their negotiations, is very aggressive, and I think that is a I think that is an advantage for us, uh, and uh, I think our negotiators are are, are willing to to make sure that. All these agreements are, are implemented, uh, not just of what was agreed to on, on paper, but within the spirit of what was negotiated as well. Uh, so we've got a great team that's focused on that. We're going to do what we can as an industry to advise them and provide that, that expertise from the people in the field who, who actually uh, <clears throat> work with this and work with these, uh, work with all the different segments uh, to make sure that this production is not just something that that the uh, retailers and the, and the packers can enjoy, that this is something that we're going to see big returns at cattle feeder and the, uh, both of the feed yard and the cow-calf uh, production levels. And actually today at the White House, the vice premier actually committed to the implementation 
of this agreement. So, um, you know. Yeah. And that's supposed to be within 30 days or something as far as I read. February 6th. Yeah. Pardon? Implementation is February 6th. Yeah. And so some follow. things will be implemented immediately, and I think others will still, you know, we'll, we'll have to work through to, to get them there. But yeah, uh, there is a commitment to, to move this forward as quickly as possible. Do we know why they settle on those three uh, classes and, and not, um, or where the discussions are about some of the other products on the market as far as um, implants go? Well, I think they wanted to. I, I mean, I I don't know specifically because we weren't in the you know, we weren't in the room on some of those conversations. I know that those are those are three of the most commonly used, and so I think as they're as they're putting together MRLs, they're putting together everything to try to uh, find a way to implement this. We'll get more details. It doesn't say other compounds won't be yeah. that. It just really mention those three as three commonly used ones. Gotcha. Thank you. And I was reading through the document and I got the impression that they're gonna pretty much capitulate to what SSIS guidelines are. Would that be a fair statement? So when you look at yeah, if you look at uh, you know China is going to use US US registry system uh, the product scope is going to be aligned with the United States. So yes, essentially uh, they're going to accept, I think, all but just a, a small number of, of items. Uh, I think ones were something they weren't willing to take or something of that nature. But almost, every, almost everything else, there's going to be uh, there's going to be opportunities for us. This is Wes Ishmael with Beef Magazine. And Kent, to you or, or Jennifer, what is in this in this phase one deal? What is China's total monetary commitment to U.S. agriculture commodities? And, and and is that is that here's the total, or is that in addition to some base figure? And then how does that compare to pre-trade war? You know what he announced today was of the I believe 200 billion. Total that 40 of that would be to agriculture alone. Uh, there may be some details as to whether that's a two-year total, a one-year total uh, that we're going to have to get some clarity on. But uh, the 40 billion was the, was the amount that he announced for agriculture today at the White House. Okay. Do we and do we know how that compares to what they were doing before? No. They were doing like 18 billion before. Uh, okay. I, I guess I was trying to follow your question as far as the amount we were sending before. Let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, in 2017, our exports to China were valued at, at just under $24 billion. Okay, thank you. And then this 40, we don't know if that's for one year or two years, as Jennifer said. So. Yeah, we're trying to. We have, we have some I think we've heard two different that. two different versions of that, so we're going to have to get some clarity on that. Okay, thank you, <laughs> Jennifer. This is Steve K again. A question for you uh, about the dreaded T word, which hasn't been mentioned, and of course, NPPC uh, noted the, the 
tariffs on U.S. pork still, which is prohibited 62 percent and urgent to be reduced. Uh, what about on beef? Uh, refresh me as to uh, the tariff on U.S. beef at the moment, and, and what's your comment about you know how getting tariffs were not tariffs were not part of this. Uh, U.S. beef is at 47 uh, percent, but 47. I believe that. 47, yes, sir. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, in my view, what we've got accomplished with this, with the reduction of these uh, non-tariff trade barriers, it still opens up a lot because as, as we look at Japan, which our number one export market, they're at a 38 and a half, or were, <laughs> thank goodness, uh, in the years past, they've been at a 38 and a half percent tariff, which is right. still a humongous right. tariff, and we still yeah. had that kind of sale. So I think the, the, the wins that we got in phase one, um, it, you know, tariffs that'll they'll get taken care of as time goes on. As we go to phase two, they're they're negotiating point. They always are. Yeah, right. and keep in keep in mind, you know, that 47 percent tariff. We started at a 12 percent, and China targeted us for a 25 percent increase uh, when the United States applied the 25 percent tariff on 50 billion dollars in Chinese goods. So we were on the first we were on the first list. Uh, that extra 10% that takes it to 47 is the value-added tax. So, right. yeah, that, we, we're hopeful that we will see all that resolved, but as the president made clear today and the other people in the administration, the tariffs are going to stay on because it's leveraged to keep China at the table. So, you know, I think we, I think we could expect, hopefully, that, you know, once they're able to proceed with moving towards a more comprehensive trade agreement, that's even bigger than what was announced today, that we would see the tariffs come off. But uh, there wasn't any clear timeline as to when that would be. Right. Well, I was just contrasting what uh, NPC President David Herring said. You know, he, he put it top and center of his state of the uh, NPC statement, and you d in your statement didn't make any mention of eliminating uh, tariffs. Yeah, and I mean, pork is pork's been a big target, and they've lost a lot more in China than we have. I could see, I could right. see where they would make that statement. As far as the, right. and we can't speak for them, but for the U.S. beef industry, the bigger problem for us has not been the tariffs. It's been all of these non-tariff trade barriers. It's right. been these BSE restrictions, the hormone restrictions, uh, all of these other things, traceability. And to have those moved, I mean, that's really the story that. That, that people in our industry are looking at. Yeah, tariffs grab headlines, but and, and not to downplay that any, but for the U.S. beef industry, this is, as Jennifer's statement says, this is a game changer. Thank you. Well, the trace, traceability deal is a big thing in my book. We got three big ones uh, behind us now, for sure. Okay, other questions? Uh, this is Megan Grepner with Brownfield. Uh, as you look ahead to obviously phase one signed, uh, as you look ahead to phase two, what are some things that you're hoping to see progress on, um, maybe to even enhance uh, beef opportunity in China? So I think the, the big thing for us, we got a lot of these big victories in phase one. And so the implementation is going to be the main focus for what we do uh, within CBA and our, our interaction with the U.S. government. I think we'd still like to see some progress on beta agonists. I think uh, 
And we want to make sure that, that science remains the fundamental basis of our trade with China. The problem we run into uh, so many times is that uh, China doesn't China doesn't live up to its WTO commitments. Uh, China doesn't always adhere to the international the recommendations of the international scientific community, whether that's OIE or Codex. And so I, I think that we we're going to make sure that you know we have. Uh, terms of trade with China that are rules-based, that are science-based, enforceable, uh, and that they understand that just a, a paper agreement is not enough. That we, we need to see a uh, we need to see a real behavioral change in in opening that market. And I think uh, the administration's made that very clear. I think the Chinese understand that. And given the dynamics that they've seen in their own domestic production and their ability to feed their own people, they're, they're going to need strong relationships with U.S. agriculture. And I think this announcement today, this phase one deal, is definitely that uh, step that we need. Uh, I think as we move forward with phase one, we may find some other things that have to be addressed in phase two. Uh, but for now, we've cleared some major hurdles today. And even before phase two, you know, is final that our industry will have to gear up to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, it'll be, it'll require, you know, logistics, uh, customers, relations that, that we've never had. And so it's going to be a big job for our industry uh, to take advantage of the potential offered uh, in China. Yeah, exactly. And Jennifer, that brings up a, a great point. We looked at the implementation of the Korea Agreement. I remember, I remember the, the year before the agreement was signed, we had record exports into Korea. And then the following year, once the agreement was implemented, we had a huge dip. And that had nothing to do with the agreement. It had everything to do with market conditions. But if you look at where we were before that agreement and where we are now, there's no question that those terms of trade opened that market. And we were able to go in and develop those supply chains, identify those customers, build that trust, build those relationships. And remember, that was a market that had protested the importation of U.S. beef in 2008, and if any of you are familiar with that, next time you're in our office, I'll show you. I've got that picture in the front page of the New York Times from June 2008 framed on my wall. And now they're close to becoming our biggest export market. So I think China is going to be the next chapter in that book for us uh, that just shows that USB producers, we do it right. Uh, we produce a, a very safe, high-quality product. We believe in science. We embrace it. That's what makes us efficient. That's what makes us the high-quality uh, beef producers that we are. I think uh, this access to China is definitely going to reflect that in the years to come. Jennifer, Steve Kay again. Uh, USMEF, as you know, carries out the vast majority of uh, promotional activity in the global markets on behalf of not just beef but pork as well. How much more money do you think MEF need to be able to mount a, mount a, a China campaign in China for U.S. beef that will be required? I, I don't. I don't have a figure for that. Uh, obviously, they have never stopped working. Uh, and, and those of you that I've been to China twice, they never stopped working. Uh, they could use more as we develop these markets, but a lot of that will come. It'll come from private industries investment not necessarily into MEF, but into China, into developing the relationships and the customers. Uh, so, you know, we can't thank MEF enough for the work that they've done to, 
to set the stage for what's going to happen. Thanks. When can cattle producers start taking advantage of this thing? Should I add another 100 heifers to my herd this year? Well, as we stated earlier, we're not in the business of advising people what to do with their individual, uh, their individual uh, operations. But uh, you know, the good thing is, is you have options, and you have, you know, you'll, you know, as, as this develops, uh, you'll have the ability to decide if you want to market for that product or if you want to market somewhere else. And that's the good thing about our industry is we are very diverse. Uh, no two operations are the same, and that's because we have a lot of we have the freedoms to operate, and we and we believe in the capitalist approach, which encourages competition, and it's good for consumers, it's good for producers, and this is uh, again this is the next chapter uh, in our in our book uh, for the U.S. industry. I think this is a, a big day for us. And to the point of right here, go ahead. Steve Kagan, as a point of reference, do you have any idea what premiums are paid to producers for NHTC cattle? Oh, I do, and they're really old. I'll figure that can update that. Steve, it kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes it's 15 right. bucks, sometimes it's 25 bucks. That's what my contacts tell me. You know, but just the just the the year we've had for exports in developing markets and and getting these things uh, behind us, because really any market will continue to diversify the markets that are open for U.S. beef. Any of that helps all of us. And you know, we've had a great year with the European Union uh, U.S. only quota, with Japan, uh, with China. The vote on USMCA will be in the Senate today or tomorrow. It's just a uh, a lot of opportunities that will allow beef producers to better market uh, their product overseas as well as domestically. Jennifer, you called this a game changer. What what episode? And I've I've followed the industry as you may know for 33 years. What what previous single event would be on a par with this, or is the one? Oh gosh. We have we have a lot of uh, uh, big events, but I, I'm not so sure. When you've got 1.4 billion people in this country, their middle class is bigger than our whole U.S. I'm not sure there is one event that has the potential to really blow our markets out of the water that this one does. Right. I would agree. All right, any more questions? If not, I thank want to yeah, thank everybody for joining us. And as always, if you have further questions or need additional information, you can reach out to us anytime. Thanks a lot. Thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at policy.ncba.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.